everyone, and welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast, episode number 57. My name is Haley. I'm going to be your host today, and every single day that you are tuning in, my friends, we have an amazing episode coming your way today. I had the pleasure of chatting with Josh McCartney. He is an incredible guy. He's a mindset coach and a mentor. He's living out in Dubai now. He's originally from Australia, but we had such an incredible conversation. I learned so much just about how our memory works. Um, He was really using a lot of awesome ways to kind of bring a new perspective into the mind-body connection and how we show up in the world and how we can manage our stress, how we can manage our anxiety. And it was really eye-opening. And we also have a lot in common, which is kind of cool to see. Um, We have a pretty similar life story in a lot of ways. So I'm so excited to be bringing you this episode today, guys. If you're interested in learning about memory hacks, how you can kind of like hack your mind, how you can improve anxiety, stress in your life, how you can really start to connect with yourself, how to take your power back, um, especially if you're somebody that's been anxious or if you're somebody that views yourself in in the light of, you know, not remembering things well of being bad at names like that's something that I really struggled with for a long time was thinking that I wasn't good at remembering people's names but um, Josh actually walked me through an amazing exercise for memory recall that I did here in my studio that kind of blew my mind so without further ado I'm gonna stop babbling here I am so excited for you to hear our chat so without further ado if you are interested then you know what to do my friends go ahead and stay tuned All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast. Today, I am joined with Josh McCartney. Josh, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to have you on. I think we've been following each other for a little while on social media, and um, I see a lot of the stuff that you post about like mindset and stress and confidence, too. So I'm I'm really excited to kind of pick your brain today and, and sort of dive into it all. Cool. Me too. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess a great place to start would be just, you know, your background. I think a lot of people that are in this mindset space and in just like the wellness space in general usually have a pretty interesting story of what had led them to where they are or, you know, what they've overcome. So I'm kind of curious, were you someone that really struggled with like stress and anxiety growing up? What was that like for you? Yeah, so I had a bit of an interesting uh, upbringing, right? So when I was really young, up until I was probably about 15 years old, I was overweight, I was uh, terrible teeth, I was bullied a lot, so I had no friends, right? I ended up doing homeschooling for a couple of years because I had like no confidence to be in school, I was just picked on all the time and I had no ability to be able to deal with that myself. And when I turned around 18 years old or something, I got my first book in the self-development realm, which was The Power of Now, as most people have probably heard about, but I was too book. young and yeah. But I had no idea really what it meant. Like I'd be reading it and thinking, wow, I'm so switched on. I'm so intelligent because I'm reading this new book. And I had actually no clue what it meant, right? And then over the past around 12 to 13 years, I started taking every seminar that I could find, every everyone that I could afford, every course that I could take online, every podcast I'd listen to, every book that I'd read. And so I've been in the, the self-development space for quite a long time. And I've been a performer as well, a singer for about 10 years, right? And singing, I realized it was always is a selfish pursuit. I was always looking to, you know, just be in front of people and give people that kick, that good night and the have fun, you know, but it was never really fulfilling. And I never felt that I was living up to my potential. I never felt like I was actually really enjoying it that much. It was just something I did. And I would realize that I was out six, seven nights a week. I was drinking pretty heavily all the time. And I'd wake up at 3am having essentially like a panic attack and anxiety attacks. 
And so these sort of things are things that I've actually dealt with, you know, like with the singing well, I was doing about 12 performances a week. So I was stressed, I was overwhelmed. I had a lot of things going on. And eventually I, I just kind of realized I enjoyed to help people and people would always come to me for advice about the things that I learned. So I started to, you know, give the information that I was learning to other people. And I started to realize that that lit my fire. That was the thing that like got me addicted. It was like when somebody takes the advice and changes their life, that's addictive. So I kept doing that. Right. And I, I eventually discovered memory techniques and accelerated learning techniques. And it really helped me to connect the dots as to how memories are formed, how we create a sense of self and our identity and how the things that we generally think we are, it actually doesn't have to be, you know, we have a lot of labels that are thrown around these days, you know, like you're a manic depressant or high functioning anxiety and stuff like that, where it's, you get told you're that identity and then you look for information to reinforce that belief and it becomes who you are and you think that you're a victim to that circumstance. So it's kind of my mission to, to help people to be able to firstly improve their memory, to be able to learn new habits and new goals and new systems, but also to be able to get people to realize that they're not victim to these diagnoses, they're not victim to the identities that are put on them, right? So my background has come from zero confidence into you know performing and then coaching and public speaking and you know i've developed that trait and i didn't wake up that day it was a it was a long process and i'm still in the journey so that's kind of a, a bit of an overview in a very like in a nutshell wow there's so much uh that i want to unpack with that i think first of all i just want to say i have so much in common with you because i was also bullied terribly as a child I had no friends and I'm also a singer myself. So um, I, I feel like we have a very similar path. Um, but it was the same thing for me. Like I lacked confidence for such a long time. And I think something that you were kind of getting to is like when we grow up, we have this vision of who we are and we kind of feel like that's who we are. And we're stuck in that mindset of like, I'm a failure. I am, you know, I'm nobody like I'm not worthy of anything. And then whether we realize it or not, subconsciously, that can translate into our adult lives and, and trickle into like every area of our lives. So I think it's really interesting to kind of hear what you were saying about that. And also just um, how powerful labels can be too, like especially with mental disorders or like anxiety or depression, like you said, where once you identify with that, it almost becomes a core identity, you know, factor of who you are. And like that becomes your label, that becomes you. And then you become consumed by that. So um Really interesting that that's kind of what your your journey was like. That's crazy. Yeah, it's been a long process. Yeah. Yeah, as it has for me too. I mean, it's it's still a journey, but um I I kind of, you know, discovered like all of this self-help, you know, even into the spiritual side of things towards the end of high school and that was something that really helped me kind of find my confidence. Even though kind of like you back then I thought I knew so much and in the time I definitely did not. Like there was so much more um learning to be had, but I think just self-exploration in general too can be such a catalyst for people to kind of step into their confidence. Like once you start to step out of um that identity box, I think it's really powerful. So um, kind of switching gears a little bit. I know you said um, you're really into improving people's like memories. How has that kind of translated into your perspective of even remembering who you are? Like, do you feel like when you relive something in the past, you put yourself back in that perspective? Like, I'm kind of curious to hear what your stance is on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the thing that kind of has helped me with it is recognizing how fickle memory actually is. You know, within the period of one year, at least 50% of every detail of every memory that you have shifts and it changes and it's altered every single time you remember it based on the new perception, new belief that you have now, right? So every single time you relive a memory, 
you're reliving this story that you're telling about the memory, not necessarily the memory itself. So a lot of people are trying to get over traumas, they're trying to get over, you know, the biggest problems that they've had. And it's not necessarily the memory they want to get over, it's the emotion that they're connecting and they're holding on to. So what I try and get people to do is to be able to pluck out the wisdom or the learning that can come from the memory and to be able to change the emotion and be able to have that entire experience as something that can help other people. Because you're not... Yeah. Once you start to learn about memory, it's like, wow, you can actually change anything you want. And, you know, people can implant memories into your mind to make you think that something completely unbelievable is 100% true. They do this in courtrooms where they'll, you know, mislead a witness by asking leading questions. And they'll ask it with such, uh, such certainty that the witness actually believes that they are or they did it when it's an impossible event. So, yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we will it's... definitely dive more into it. Definitely. I want to. It's so fascinating to me because I always hear people kind of saying, you know, um, like when you when you remember something, your body doesn't know the difference between, you know, what's real and tangible in front of us now and, and what the memory is. So that's why when people go through something traumatic or you relive something, even it could be something silly, like you put yourself back in that vibrational set point and then your body starts to feel as if like it's happening again. Um, which I think is really interesting. And also how you were saying too, that memories change over time. Like it's, that always makes me wonder then am I, am I remembering things as they really happened or have people kind of tainted my perspective of like my own memory as time has gone on? Yeah. I mean, it's always shifting, you know, and that's what I mean. Like when your, your perception changes and your beliefs change over time, the memory changes itself. You can have two people in the same scenario that remember completely differently. And that's based on their beliefs at that time. So in that essence, your perception and belief will create what you focus on, which will generally create the memory. And then whatever you tell yourself about that becomes how you feel about it over time. So a lot of people will have an event happen to them six years ago, for example. Uh, say somebody cuts them off in traffic and they get angry, right? And so that refractory period of anger will turn into a mood if left unchecked. It turns into a mood and over a period of a couple of months, it'll turn into a temperament and that eventually it becomes an identity trait. So then you ask a person, why are you angry? And like, well, it's this thing that happened to me six months ago. And their body is physiological, physiologically and neurochemically living in that past. The body thinks it is in the past. So over time, your, your thoughts create the experiences, which leads, release the chemicals, which create the habits, which make your body believe it is actually living in that past state of being. So people spend most of their lives reliving a traumatic event without even realizing it. And then they have all these emotional, uh, environmental and uh, personal triggers to people, places and things that set them off back into that uh, memory of the past. So their body is consistently just living in that past state of being. It doesn't have to once you learn how to reframe and rechange and uh, shift your perspective of it. But most people are living physiologically in the past. Wow, that's that's mind blowing. But honestly, it kind of makes sense to think about. So does that mean then that most people are if they're not really aware of where they're at consciously are existing in like that fight or flight state, would you say? I think most people are, you know, like if you think about like a gazelle in the wild. It's generally in a state of homeostasis. It's grazing, it's happy, it's cheery, it's feeling the breeze on its face. There's no worries, right? But as soon as there's a lion in the corner, it's probably less happy and less cheery, right? The, the cells in the body are starting to activate towards fight, flight, run, and hide. And all the digestion begins to slow down. The saliva glands stop producing saliva. The adrenaline starts kicking in and the body's internal environment is there to be able to fight the external world around them, right? So in this circumstance, say the gazelle gets away, 
and it's all happy and cheery. It goes back into homeostasis around 15, 20 minutes later. It's all happy. Everything's working. The cells in the body are cleaning themselves out and it's fine. But humans, however, we have the ability to turn on that stress response just by thinking about the problems that we have or the people that wronged us in the past. And there is no creature on the planet that can live in emergency mode for a prolonged period of time. So a lot of people, when you're reliving the problems, you're reliving that same state of run, fight, or hide. So it brings people's um, you know, energy fields down. They end up getting sick. They end up worrying all the time. And it becomes more habitual than it is actually who they are. Yeah, that's really interesting. That kind of reminds me, I'm not sure if you I'm sure you have, but um, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks a lot about like stress addiction um, in becoming supernatural. And this totally makes me think of it. And I even I even know people in my life and I'm sure people listening to this can think of people that are addicted to stress like and they don't even realize it. I, I know people in my life that will seek out the worst case scenario that almost they don't get excited when something bad happens, but like they can't wait to hear the bad news, you know, and I think it's because they've been so stuck in this cycle, like you said, for something maybe that happened six months ago where it's become a part of their identity now, where I think your body is just going to do whatever it can to stay in what feels safe and familiar. So maybe for some people, it's seeking out those kinds of situations. Do you think that that's kind of happened to you before or people you've worked with? Yeah, it definitely used to happen before I was more aware of it. And awareness is generally key. Um, but yeah, so because it releases a chemical in the brain every single time you hear about it, you get addicted to that chemical release. Just like when you open your phone, you get addicted to the dopamine, dopamine release when you open the phone. So whenever you start to speak to people, you get that chemical release, you get excited, you get um, addicted to that process. So then you can't wait to see the person again to release that same chemical. And it's, it just keeps feeding. It just keeps going over and over again. And the cycle starts. So then people speak and they're like, no, my problems are worse than yours. No, my problems are worse than yours. And that's how they actually connect. And, you know, it's generally the easiest thing to speak about, you know, humans, we're asking ourselves unconsciously about five times a second, are we safe? That's a process that's going on in the brain. So the amygdala, the emotional control center of the brain, it's there to keep you safe, not to keep you happy. So it's still geared towards, you know, 60,000 years ago or more, where if you're in a cave with one door, one exit, you're pretty safe. You can see what's coming in, you know where it is. But if you leave that cave, then you're potentially going to get eaten by a lion. So it would prefer to stay in the cave where it's safe, where it knows what's going on, regardless of if you're happy or not, it doesn't care. So our brains are still geared towards that. But our society at the moment, it's not geared towards that. You know, we're, we're trying to all be happy and cheery all the time, which isn't always going to happen. But, you know, to be able to become aware of that, that is the key. And that's where like meditation and mindfulness comes into play. You don't have to call it that. Just call it awareness. Just be present. Just be there listening. And once you do that, the simple act of becoming present or watching emotions will take you out of that state naturally. Um, so it's a practice and it's an active practice that you need to be aware of consistently. But the more times you do it, the less likely you're going to get into that habitual response, you know? So it's a practice for everybody. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting perspective to think of it from an evolutionary standpoint, because I feel like for some people that overthink things or overanalyze them, it almost just simplifies it to like, okay, why am I, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And if, if you think of it in that way, it actually makes a lot more sense. And even, you know, going off of what you said, I think awareness is so powerful. It's absolutely, you know, transformed my life. Um, and I'm kind of curious, like about your journey specifically, like when, when was it for you that you decided to kind of really shift into, you know, meditation and, and gaining awareness? I think I always liked the idea more than I enjoyed the process for a very long time. 
So I've been meditating for probably 12 years and it's only been the last probably year that I found the meditations that actually do it for me. Um, you know, I was trying headspace and, you know, I'd be aware and I'd be focusing on the breath and stuff, but I never focused, I, I never gained any real noticeable changes in my day-to-day -day life. Um, and then I would go to yoga practices and, you know, you focus on the breath or you do your shavasana, shavasana, shavasana. Yeah. Shavasana, I think. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll do like a meditative thing where you focus on relaxing each part of your body and stuff. But I never found that outside of those practices, it had any benefit. And in the last probably year and a half, I found practices that have actually changed me fundamentally, you know? Um, and one of the main things that have actually helped me is focusing on how can I help other people? You know, when you're focused about the problems in your life that are happening to you, when you're focused on yourself, you will likely start to think more about the problems that you have because it's all about you. But when you use yourself as a vessel between the person outside of you of how can I help them get from where they are to where they want to be? How can I close that gap? Well, then you're thinking less about your problems and you're thinking about how can I help? When you come from a place of service and you know, help, you start to shift your perspective. And in that state, when you start to do that habitually, you can't be focused on your problems all the time because you're focused on helping others. And it's not a distraction. It's not an avoidance mechanism. It's actually a way to gain peace if you are an overthinker, if you have anxiety. It's how can you get outside of yourself is generally the key. I think it's a great way to kind of just channel that energy to and transmute it rather than keeping it all to yourself. Like you said, it's it's so powerful to to help other people. And I think just the notion of how I how, how can I be of service to others is just um, amazing. And I don't know about you, but I think about like my meditation journey too. And, you know, when I first started, I used calm, which is really similar to headspace, nothing against calm, you know, it's great. Um, but I didn't really like find that it, that it, you know, was creating like a transcendental experience or anything. But, um, I've noticed that the more consistent I am with my practice, the less reactionary I am in my waking life. So I feel like that's something that can really translate over well from just gaining that sense of self-awareness is like understanding that you're not your thoughts and understanding that, you know, things will happen around you, but you always have that power of your perspective of how you're going to kind of react to them. So, um, yeah, I think meditation is probably one of the greatest ways that, that people can kind of just gain their power back. Totally. Like um, I've studied NLP and a lot of the things that you do is uh, perceptional positioning. So you'll get people who are in a really overwhelmed, overworked state and you get them to imaginarily step outside of their body and look at themselves. And you say, what do you look like from behind? And you'll start to be like, oh, okay. Yeah, you seem pretty stressed and worried. You're like, okay, cool. What would you tell that person? Uh, to just chill out everything's going to be fine and then you say okay cool let's take another step out of that body looking at yourself so you look at that body looking at yourself and so then it's a third perspective right and so at that point you're like what would you tell that person and then you come back to a place of just peace and calm and just empathy and awareness and you do it a couple of times you, you might go five six seven times up to you it doesn't normally take that many but if you just do that simple act of um, getting outside of your body and just noticing yourself, whatever emotions you had when you were so focused on everything that's going wrong, dissipate within seconds. And I do this consistently with the clients that I work with. And it's always the same response. When you get outside of yourself, you can actually start to see it from a greater perspective. And it's been one of the biggest shifts that I personally had in my life. And um, other clients also have the big shifts as well. I think that's such a great technique. I've actually never heard of that before. But you know, taking that step back, I think, reminds us, too, that some of the things that we're putting on a pedestal in our mind that seem so huge, that seem like they're the end of the world in the moment, really aren't, 
you know, that big of a deal in, in the grand scheme of things. And I think, you know, for some of us, it just takes literally like viewing ourselves from a step back to be like, it's okay. You know, this is, am I even going to be worrying about this, you know, like a month from now or even six months from now? That's something that I ask myself when I find myself getting anxious. I'm like, is this even going to matter in a week? And if it's not, then why don't we figure out a way to let it go? Yeah. I love that. I love that. Bigger time yeah. frames. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all the perspective. I think that perspective is just like, uh, it's so powerful with all of this, you know, mindset stuff. Um, but I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about how you got interested specifically in the memory stuff. Cause I'm so fascinated by all of that. Cool. Any specific areas you're fascinated in? Really mains mainly just how, like what we remember here in this moment, how it can actually like how we remember it is, you know, changing. Like, I, I, I really feel like that's such a trippy concept of, you know, how our body can interpret what we're remembering, how we relive that experience. And I even catch myself sometimes like this sounds so silly, but I could be thinking about something stupid that I did in fifth grade. And I feel that same anxiety that I felt like walking out of the classroom. And it's like, how is that even possible that I'm really feeling, you know, like I'm here now in that moment again, whereas I'm not. But my body, you know, thinks I am. Mm. Yeah. So information plus emotion creates a memory essentially it helps to form a memory so you can remember an experience based on how much you felt about it so when you think about the experience you can remember the emotion better than the details right the brain isn't supposed to remember everything with high amounts of accuracy it's supposed to think that's a lion and it could kill me not how many hairs or strands of fur are on the lion's mane you know what was the little speck on its face it's not designed to remember that high amount of accuracy um, it's supposed to be like the gist of the situation, like that's bad, get away. <laughs> and the same thing is still happening now, right? So if you weren't focused right now on the color of my shirt and me telling you to remember the color of my shirt in three days from now, you probably wouldn't, right? But now that you've brought your attention towards that, that specific detail, then your brain's going to pay more attention. And the level of attention that you pay tells the brain what to focus on and what to remember. So whatever you focus on in any moment is what you're going to remember from that situation. So if you're in a, an argument with somebody and all you're focused on is how can I catch them out as opposed to what are they trying to say to me? You've got two potential focus points in one conversation, but whatever you're focused on is going to be what you're going to find in that situation and what you're going to remember later. So depending on what you focus on in any moment is going to depend and create the memory that you're trying to remember. And attention is the, uh, the, the basic um, ingredient to the memory process. So before encoding is storage and retrieval and, you know, memory words come into play, it based on attention. Okay. Um, so back on your first question, how did I get interested in it? It was several years ago. Actually, let's take it a little bit further back. I used to listen to Tim Ferriss all the time. Um, if anyone doesn't know who that is four hour work week, four hour chef, um, tools of Titans, amazing, amazing author, uh, podcaster, Accelerate learner, biohacker, amazing guy. And I remember listening to him and he was talking about how he moved to Japan when he was young, couldn't speak a word of Japanese, sucked at Spanish, but he found a piece of paper in, in a library and it had all the hiragana, katagana on one sheet of paper that's accepted in newspapers and magazines. He's like, holy S word. That's Japanese <laughs> on one page. <laughs> okay, holy shit. That's Japanese <laughs> on one page. And so it matters what you learn and you can find certain ways to accelerate the process. You know, you find the 20% that's going to get you 80% of the results. And that was that one sheet of paper for him. 
So I heard about it probably seven, eight years ago. And then a friend of mine, uh, probably four years ago now, was like, hey man, let's take this memory training course. Let's see how it goes. And like, maybe we can end up teaching it to people in the future. And we took it and got completely obsessed by it. We, we couldn't figure out why these techniques hadn't been more readily accessible to the general public and why it wasn't taught in schools, because you think the prerequisite to learning would be learning how to learn and how to remember information. So you can spend less time studying so that you can actually spend more time enjoying your life and hanging out with friends and like doing the things you actually want to do. And there are simple processes that do work for people. It's same frameworks, same techniques that work for everybody because it works the way that the brain was fundamentally designed to do. The brain isn't designed to be able to work out the mathematics of a black hole. It's designed to hunt mammoths and find and forage for berries. Or if you're vegan, then it's there to hang out with mammoths and uh, hunt for berries you know so it wasn't designed to do all these things that we tricked it to do so when you learn how to use the way that the brain naturally remembers and you put that into systems it works and regardless if you have things like adhd or aphantasia where you don't have the mind's eye or something it still works because it's the same way that the brain is designed to do so right we're supposed to be able to remember where the water hole is so that we can find water we're supposed to be able to remember where the lion's den is so that we don't you know die remember what the the difference the the difference between a poisonous berry and a healthy berry looks like so the picture and then we're supposed to be able to tell our tribe don't go that way because the lions will kill you so that's a story and stories also helped us to bond and connect as people so the brain remembers in picture stories and location and that's pretty simply it so techniques like a memory palace where you store information to physical locations around you you put it in the form of a picture you place it wherever you are and you can then think about the location and the picture and you can recall, recall the information. And you can do that endlessly. You can create hundreds and hundreds to thousands of these memory palaces and be able to remember almost anything you want to learn. Like I remembered 600 words of Spanish in one week before going to Mexico a couple of years ago in one wow. week, right? With 100% um, recollection. I can remember decks and decks of cards. I do it every single day. Um, you can do it to memorize speeches. I was memorizing a thousand word speeches every day for 30 days last year for a boot camp that I ran. So wow. the techniques work. And I used to think that I sucked at visualization. I used to think that I had a bad memory. I used to think that I was bad at learning. It just turns out I didn't know how to learn. So when you learn how to learn, it can greatly improve your confidence because you can tell yourself, oh, wow, my brain is actually incredible. I can do all these things. And confidence comes as a byproduct to anything you get better at. So confidence in itself is just get better at something and you feel good about yourself regardless of that's getting better in social circumstances or talking to somebody, the better you get at talking to people, the more confident you feel about it. So then you get more competent and you become more confident and it's an endless spiral in every single area of your life. So confidence is a byproduct. And I found personally, memory techniques have given me confidence in social areas of my life, uh, personal areas of my life. It also releases dopamine. So it's a happy thing as well at the same time. And it's an addictive process. Once you start to learn it, you can't unlearn it. Yeah, it's, it definitely sounds like one of those uh, concepts. I want to try the memory palace thing. Is that so like if I had like I have like a plant on my desk, if I were to study something and associate with this, that would allow me to remember it better because it's going back to like the evolutionary principle of how we remember. Is that what it is? So let, let's try a little simple thing for you then. Okay. I want you to around your room in a circle, pick five objects, five large permanent objects, preferably like furniture would be better. Okay. Um, if you don't have that, then whatever. It's just in a circle. No, we're good. Label it okay. one, two, three, four, five. All right. I got five. 
Okay. What are they? Say them out loud for everybody. Uh, so it's my microphone. I've got my desk. I have my lamp, my ring light, and then uh, this plant. All right. Cool. Should work. All right. Okay. So what I want you to imagine is what was number five, by the way? Uh, this plant. Number four? The ring light. Number three? The lamp. Number two? The microphone. Number one? And the desk. Okay. What was number three? The ring light. Number five? Uh, the plant. Cool. I think you got it. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to save some information in those places. Okay? okay. So number one, what I want you to remember is water. Okay. Water in itself isn't that interesting. So let's connect it to the object. Okay. So number one was what? The microphone or the desk? Uh, I think it was, I think it was the desk. Okay. Yeah. So imagine spilling water all over the desk. Okay. When you put your hands on the desk, you can feel the water dripping on your hands. Maybe you lean down and start drinking the water off the desk. Okay. Got it. Number two, we're going to use a balloon. So that's a microphone, right? Yep. So what I want you to imagine is you're going to grab your microphone, but suddenly there's a, a little lead that gets attached around the balloon, uh, around the microphone and a balloon carries it up into the sky. Okay. There's a big okay. balloon carrying the microphone up into the sky. You're trying to grab it, but you can't. Okay. What's the next one? Uh, the lamp. Okay. So the next thing we want to remember is batteries. Okay. Okay. So how do you think we can remember batteries in the lamp? Uh, like twisting off the top and changing them. Yeah. Cool. Twisting off okay. the top and changing them. Imagine the entire stem of the lamp turns into a big battery. Imagine getting a bunch of batteries and throwing it at the lamp. Okay. And okay. breaking the light with the batteries. Okay? okay. Number four. That's the ring light. Okay. So what I want you to imagine is a barrel. Okay. So what we're going to do is, you know, uh, Donkey Kong, like throwing barrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to imagine the barrel hitting the ring light and the barrel breaking everywhere. All the wood comes off the barrel and it just like starts. You see the wood chips breaking everywhere. Okay. 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 Number five is the plants, right? Yep. That's our plant. Okay. So it's a small object. So what I want you to imagine is you zoom in on the, on the plant and you've got a surfboard and you're surfing on the plant. Okay. So you're surfing all okay. the way down the stem of the plant. The board is on the plant. The board is on the plant. Okay. 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 So what was number one? I think one? I got them all. Uh, the first one was the table and that was water, like uh, it's water splashing. Yeah. Yeah. What was the second item? This one was the balloon. So the little top of the balloon, taking it off. Cool. What was number three? Uh, the batteries. So it's a big battery. Yeah. Number four. And then this one was the barrel. So the Donkey Kong barrels hitting it. Awesome. Number five. And a little surfboard. Awesome. Cool. So what I've actually done in there is hidden the first elements of the periodic table. Okay. So if all learning starts with association, if you want to, if you want to learn new information, you have to associate to something you want to know. So the first element of the periodic table is hydrogen, right? So what does hydrogen sound like? Hydration? Yeah. Yeah. Hydro, hydration. So what do you do when you want to hydrate? You drink? Water. Water. Awesome. Cool. So the first one is hydrogen. The second one, when balloons rise up into the sky, what are they filled with? This is uh, what balloons when they rise up, isn't it hydrogen? Yeah. I thought that was a trick question for a second. I was like, wait. <laughs> Helium. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. So when you get the balloon and you suck it in, you, you go, yeah. 
like when you speak yeah so that's healing. oh yeah yeah so, i should have known that <laughs> that's all right that's all right so the second element is helium okay the third one most batteries nowadays are made out of lithium mm -hmm. yeah yep okay the fourth one you might need to learn the word or we need to create more uh pictures to it but barrel liam barillium Okay, so okay. we've got the barrel, beryllium. Oh, yeah. You can imagine Liam Neeson throwing the barrel. Liam, barrel, Liam. Okay. okay. Or somebody you know called Liam throwing the barrel. Okay. And then the last one is boron. So there's a board on the plant. Boron, board oh, on, boron. Okay. Okay. So, wow. so what were the elements of the periodic table? Uh, hydrogen and helium. I think you said both of those for the first one, right? Yep. Hydrogen uh, um, for the first one. Helium for the microphone. Lithium. Oh yeah, because there were two different things. Uh, lithium for that. Barolium, barolium, and then uh, boron. Perfect. Awesome. Wow. So it is no extra effort to continue going another 10 spaces. So you just keep going through that rotation and you keep remembering things? Exactly. If you wow. were to create another five objects in your next room, then you'd have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And then you go to the next room, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. But you notice how in that we were adding our senses, right? So sensory details are very, very important. This is imaginary but it's multi-sensory associations so we're connecting our sense of touch so we're touching the water we were tasting the water we we're drinking it we could see the balloon rising we could even hear our barrel breaking so we're adding in our senses into these visualizations because you want once you add your senses into the visualizations and imagination your body is tricked into thinking it is actually living that moment the brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality okay so whatever you imagine is real to the brain so then in terms of mental health, if you're overthinking the worst case scenario, your body is imagining that it's actually in that scenario because you're seeing it, you're touching it, you're tasting it, you're smelling it, you're everything, right? And so when you're doing that, you're imagining it's more real than your actual reality right now. So if you were to change the, that imagination, right? So why not make it even crazier? If you're overthinking something, like say you're worried that somebody's going to cheat on you or something, right? Imagine that they are. And then aliens come down and abduct both the people. And then a dog is trying to save them. So it jumps up and grabs the leg of the person. And, you know, you make it so crazy that you can't even take your imagination seriously anymore. Yeah. But you add your senses into the play, right? So imagination is just as real to the brain as reality. Yeah, that, wow, that was so, honestly, I feel like that technique would have saved me a lot of time um, for like memorizing speeches, even in school or like, honestly, anything, like any terms, that would have saved me so much time. I remember cramming for finals weeks, just like staring at sheets of paper, not, you know, having any way to really process it. But um, yeah, like thinking about it from a sensory, you know, perspective, I think is is so refreshing to hear. I really haven't like heard anybody else like give that perspective, at least for, for remembering things, which I think is awesome. Um, and also, like you said, imagining things to the point where they seem absurd, I think is also a great way for people to kind of um, get around any anxiety that they might have about a situation. Like if, if you have like a fear of rejection or if you're afraid about something not going the way you want it to, like imagine the worst case scenario and then take it even further. Like what a great idea because then it's just so ridiculous that your body's like, this is insane. Like this is a joke. Let's bring it back to the present moment. And then the best part about that is it permanently changes the memory to that association. So you make it so crazy that you can't take it seriously. So next time you think about it, you remember the craziness and you can't think about it seriously anymore. Yeah, that's so powerful. Wow. Huge um, perspective switch. Like, and that's, I think the main theme with like so much of this stuff is how much power we have, you know, in our perspective. Um, and I'm just wondering how long did it take for you to kind of 
really sort of hone in all of this stuff? Was it like a really slow process or did it all kind of stem from the self-awareness? Then it went into the memory. Like how long was that journey for you? Um, yeah, so I was doing self-development for a long time. I'd studied NLP and CBT and stuff like that before. Um, but memory connected the dots for me. It allowed me to understand how and why it works, you know, and it explained it properly to me in a way that I could experience as well. Um, but it was a slow process in terms of learning the techniques. It's actually really fast. Like you'll see huge changes in people from the first session. Okay. Um, I have people that think they suck with numbers. I had this, uh, this client who's a big director of a big company over uh, the Middle East and North Africa region. She thought she sucked with numbers. Couldn't remember four numbers, right? Within two sessions over one week, she was remembering her entire P&L statement, which is 230 digits in different orders, different rows, different columns, different percentages, and different totals, just from one technique. Wow. Oh, my goodness. But it's power- you can get good at it very quickly, right? If you're taught the right way to do it, handheld through it. But you can, even the basics, you can learn to help you very quickly. I would generally give people, say, four sessions, and they'll be very, very, very good at it, right? They generally need two, but four sessions, they're great. If they want to really implement and integrate into their brain, I get them to practice a little bit longer. You know, habits can take long times to form and, you know, getting into a lifestyle and an actual thing that's just habitual, that can take a little bit longer. But in general, you can get very good at training in a couple of weeks. For me, because I wanted to start learning how to teach it, that takes longer. understanding all the reasoning, having multiple explanations to be able to connect to that person and being able to use different techniques when it doesn't work for one person and uh, changing it and personalizing it, that takes longer. So I was studying four to seven hours every single day for probably a year and a half or something crazy to be able to like, be able to teach it in a way that people can understand very clearly and effectively. Um, But in terms of just learning memory techniques, you can do it very quickly. Yeah, I think that's so cool to know that, you know, things can just click and resonate if they're just like explained to us in a different way or if we just see them from a different perspective. And something else that I, I'm thinking about now is you said that that woman had said, oh, I'm I'm terrible with numbers. Like for me, I think a big part of what holds us back is how we identify ourselves. Like people that say like, I'm terrible with names. And that's something that I'm trying not to do anymore because I always used to say, oh, I'm so bad at names. Like when I would introduce myself to someone, I would say, I suck at names. I'm sorry. Like I'm the worst. But then I'm like, wait a minute. I I'm honestly setting the the point for myself and reiterating to myself that I am terrible with names. So I'm furthering, you know, me not being able to remember names because I'm believing it and I'm reliving it over and over again. So do you think that a big part of that too is just kind of talking yourself out of the, the box that you've maybe put yourself in? Yeah. So whenever you give the sentence or the two words, I am, whatever comes after that is a command. You're commanding your body, your brain, your mind, your life to become that. So I suck at numbers. Well, my brain's going to be like, okay, cool. I suck at numbers. And then it's going to further find more information because now you turn on your reticular activating system to search for ways that you suck at numbers. Whenever you tell your brain, hey, why do I suck? It'll be like, here's 10 results as to why you suck. But if you say, hey, how could I be good at remembering names? Remembering names? And it'll be like, oh, well, you could do these things. And you practice it. And then eventually you become that. So whatever you tell yourself, whatever you belief you have about yourself creates your experience. And if you want to change beliefs, you need to find a new piece of evidence to the contrary. So you need to start picking holes in that belief. You know, so if you start saying, I'm bad at numbers, but then you have an experience of being good at it, well, then you're starting to question your own beliefs and you're starting to change your beliefs. But it starts to come from 
do I actually believe that I'm bad at numbers or have I just said it a few times or a lot of times? <laughs> yeah. It's almost like an inverse relationship. Like if like that woman, for example, like she went in with that belief, but then she did the workshop and she was like, wait a minute, I'm actually not bad at this. And it's, it's almost like that the story that you're telling yourself about yourself becomes falsified through you, you know, trying to change it or, or even doing the smallest thing that challenges it. Yeah. Change the story or change your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so powerful. It certainly has for me. Like, I even think too, I had someone on the podcast um, a few months ago and he said, you know, words are spells. And I think that that's such an awesome way of thinking about it. So like our, our words cast spells, right? With what we say about ourselves and everything that you attach to the I am is, is creating the fabric of who you are, whether you realize it or not. So um, for me, a big shift in my life has been just becoming aware of, of what I attach to that. And like I said, it, it sounds silly, but something lately for me has just been not labeling myself as somebody that sucks with remembering names. I'm trying to like get out of that. <laughs> I just encourage people to, to be aware of the words they use because every single word you use has a certain meaning attached to it. So if you say this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me, well, then you've, you've limited yourself to a pretty shitty life. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you change that to this is inconvenient, you've changed the entire tone. You've changed the entire um, gear that you just put into that scenario, right? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me or this is slightly inconvenient, but I can get over this. You know, one is something that you can actually pursue. The other thing is a, a dead end and you can't possibly get past it. So shifting the meaning and being aware of the words that you use is actually very, very important because every single word that you use has a meaning. So yeah. if I can encourage anybody to do anything, it'd be to just, just for a day, think about the words you use. Do they actually mean what they mean? Are you, is your intent something else, but using a different word because the word will create your experience as well. So just be aware of the words that you use. And whatever comes after that will create your reality. Yeah, that's huge. Every word, you know, carries a vibration. And I even think about it, you know, from how you frame things too, of like, rather than viewing any negative experience, or if you want to call it that, like a setback or a road bump, rather than viewing it as a, as a failure, view it as a lesson or like an opportunity to kind of seek something else. And that's something that, that I try to do now is rather than saying, oh, I failed at this, like this fell apart. This, this is like a disaster. Like, no, okay. Maybe it wasn't meant for me. You know, maybe this, there's a, a hidden lesson here that I just need to give myself a little bit of patience and time to see in hindsight. And nine times out of 10, the things that I've thought were the most horrible failures in my life, like the, the worst breakups, whatever have actually led me to, um, major realizations just about myself and, and um, life in general. So even just reframing like that perspective of what you might perceive to be a failure at first. Yeah, I like to think how is the worst experience that's happened to me, the best experience that's happened to me. You know, like me growing up, overweight, inability to speak, no friends, has led me to the obsession to be able to help others today. You know, going through the worst breakups that I've had allowed me to realize what I will and will not tolerate in myself and in the other person. So then it improves the quality of your future relationships. You know, every single bad experience is just going to repeat until you learn the pattern and break the pattern. So how's the worst experience that's ever happened to you? Secretly the best. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like, um, there's this quote that I see circulating all the time and it's like, um, the, the lesson or the, what is it? The pattern will keep repeating until the lesson is learned. And I, I really do feel like that's true. I think the universe will keep serving us that same scenario until we finally take a step back and, and can see 
you know, how we can grow from it. And I think for your journey too, that's like such a prime example of having been on the other side of that, having been someone that lived through, you know, not being confident and, and figuring it out on your own, honestly, and, and kind of just like paving your own way into now, um, like you said, being of service to others, I think is, is like so inspiring. So. Thank you. Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's all been alone. There's always been people that have nudged me in certain directions, but I went through my process and my journey and everybody else is as well. So I, I just, yeah, check out the people that are around you and what value are you adding to them and what value are they adding to you? Why are you with the people that, that you're with? You know, is it just out of obligation or comfort, security, or is it to grow and both benefit each other? So for me, it's always been, I've always kind of deliberately tried to be around people that inspire me in some way. And I think that that for me has been one of the biggest, um, you know, positive steps that I've ever taken. I think that's huge too. They even say, you know, who, you're the product of the six people that you surround yourself with. And if you're surrounded by people that are constantly negative, addicted to stress, you know, in a low vibration, um, it, you could be doing the best you can, but if you're tapping into their energy and their set point, you're really not going to be able to go to that whole next level. And I think that who you surround yourself with really does, you know, have an effect on, on what you're able to do and, and how you're able to show up. Yeah, like we have mirror neurons that are there to act and mimic and imitate the people around us. So the more time you spend with people, the more you realize that you start to mimic the way they smile or the way they laugh or the words they use. So over time, you literally become the people you're around. Yeah, which is a trippy thought, by the way. I even like I see it in my own life. I'm like people that I know that date each other start to have the same like micro expressions or like mannerisms or even just friends. It's like, whoa, when did that happen? Like. Yeah. And it's back to evolutionary, right? Like if you don't fit in to the people around you and your tribe back in the days before electricity, and there was actually lions and stuff waiting for you, if you didn't fit into a tribe and you're alone, your chances of survival are pretty low, right? So you would have to adapt to the people around you so that you could follow their, their rules and their, and actually belong before, you know, before today's society where it's just, you know, social influences and stuff like that, where we don't think about before it was actual survival mechanisms. And that's why it's, it's built in because it's like, it actually helped us to survive. Nowadays, it's to stop us from being outcasted and um, still sort of a, a survival tendency, but it's just overused nowadays and people are unaware of it. Definitely unaware. I feel like so much of this stuff is, is so fascinating because there is so much unawareness that comes with it. Like there's so much that is you know, there to be explored that we don't even think about on the surface. Like I've, I've learned so much, even just in this conversation that we've had of, you know, how we show up and, and our, you know, our ways that we remember things and the evolutionary standpoint of things like, but I'm, I'm so fascinated by this stuff. And this is why, like I started this podcast is just to hear different people's perspectives on, you know, how they understand the mind and the body. And so, um, it's really refreshing to hear, you know, somebody offer up this perspective, especially with like the memory techniques, I think is, is really cool. So, um, I'm kind of curious if you just have like any last minute, like advice or, you know, tips that you want to give to anybody that's listening in. Hmm. I need a moment just to, to think yeah. about it, really. Um, always be curious would be my answer. Um, I find the progress that I've had is based on my curiosity towards life. You know, I would be in situations I would find boring, but I'd always ask myself, what can I find in this situation? You know, when you learn to ask better questions, 
you'll get better results in your life. Your brain works in question and answer, by the way. And if you just ask yourself, does it? Well, then there's your answer, Yeah. right? So it's literally a conversation is a question and an answer. A story is an answer to a preceded question. And so whenever you're asking a question, depending on the way that you ask it, will change the brain's um, purpose, I guess. So whatever situation you're in, learn to ask a better question. What can I take from this scenario? What am I learning from this? How can I apply this information? Why must I use this information? And how can I better myself for the next conversation? How can I learn to have this in, uh, to make this information interesting? Once you start asking better questions and starting to reframe it into curiosity and have a burning curiosity for life, stuff just gets interesting. You'll start to notice that you'll be a more interesting person as well. So that would be kind of my last minute thoughts. That's great advice to just always be seeking. I think... Um... Like to always want to to learn more and to know more and to understand more. Like we never reach a, a full limit of like, okay, I know it all. I'm good. I'm I don't need any more, you know, experience. I don't need any more lessons. Like be open to receiving new knowledge, be open to hearing different people's perspectives, I think too. Um, it's probably just good from from a mental standpoint too, to just hear somebody else's standpoint. Um, but I think that's great advice just to be curious. Like there's so much knowledge to be had, there's so much to be sought after. Um, if you just give yourself a chance to dive into it, you'll notice that your mind starts to expand more too. And um, I don't know if it improves your IQ point if you, you know, read a bunch or, or you know, somehow learn a bunch of new skills, but I'm sure it can't hurt. I'm sure it does though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Once your brain learns anything new, it can't go back to the same way it was. So Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I guess I'll just kind of leave it up to you now where, you know, what are you up to now? Like where can people find you if they want to, you know, work with you? Yeah, so depends on what platform you have. On TikTok, it's Memory Coach, pretty simple, straightforward. Uh, on Instagram, it's Josh McCartney Official. Those are kind of the two main ones. Um, if you're, I'm just coming up with a free seven day memory training course for everybody that wants to download it. So it's the link in my bio. Just sign up, it'll be delivered to you. Um, but those are kind of the main things. I've also got a podcast. So I, um, yeah, you can listen to more stuff, all things memory related. And if you're in Dubai or anywhere close, I'll be doing workshops and online workshops and webinars and stuff in the future. So just watch this space, I guess. Yeah, cool. Well, Josh, this was such an enlightening conversation. I feel like I learned so much just about how the mind works, which was really cool. So um, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, if you're listening to this, I'm going to leave his links on the um, on the screen if you're watching and I'll leave them all in the description as well. So you guys can go ahead and follow him. Check him out. Check out his, you know, his TikTok, his Instagram. Um, again, that seven-day free course sounds amazing. So definitely check that out too if you guys are looking to improve your memory. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.